Good morning, Mountain Park. Hope you're doing well. Happy 4th of July weekend. I want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us this morning. My name is Dwayne, and I serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Mountain Park. I'm excited about the opportunity to uh, share some things with you today. And uh, as you may know from last week, Pastor Allen uh, launched out this brand new series uh, called Lessons from Quarantine. And uh, like many of you, I I've spent the last... Uh, four months or so, most of it, you know, working from home. And uh, during that time, I've, I've learned a few things. Uh, I've gotten a few lessons about uh, quarantine, and, and I'm going to share just a few of them with you this morning. Maybe you can relate to some of these things that I've, I've learned. Uh, one of the things I've learned is I've learned that my dog can actually sleep most of the day while I'm at work. He, he can just do that. Uh, I've learned that asking the question, do we have enough toilet paper? really is not all that important as it was made out uh, to be. Uh, I actually learned, too, that you can attend several different Zoom meetings throughout the week, not realizing that you're wearing the same clothes. Guilty. Guilty. I also realized this, that dad jokes, I love to tell dad jokes, dad jokes are no fun when you're, when you're by yourself. Uh, I, I do have one dad joke I, I could tell you th this morning, and here it goes. What type of, of jokes are allowed during a quarantine? Yes? Inside jokes. All right, I know you're laughing hysterically right now, but that's, I, I won't do that anymore. Uh, I also learned that, that when you're stuck in your home, people who are stuck in their homes spend way too much time um, posting themselves dancing. Way too much time. I also learned that you can actually walk into a bank wearing a mask and nobody thinks you're there to rob the place. And also, one other thing I've learned is that I've learned that there's really not a good idea to watch the stock market too much or the news too much during a pandemic. So a lot of lessons that we can learn, maybe some of those you've learned as well, but, but folks, more importantly, than uh, what I learned during this time, I'm more thankful for the lessons or the things that I was reminded of or have been reminded of during this time of quarantine. Things that I already know, but maybe just allowed to get out of focus uh, a little bit in, in my life. And I'm going to give you a few of these, uh, some examples, and maybe you can relate to some of these as well. I, I was reminded, um, like many of you, that, that an actual phone call can brighten somebody's day. It, it's really been amazing. I've made I've been on the phone a lot more than I was prior to this and actually had a lot of great conversations. So I've been reminded of the importance uh, of that. I've been reminded just how precious life really is. I've also been reminded the importance of spending time with family and not just being there, but being present, not worried about what I need to check on my phone. I was reminded that cereal is really good any time of the day, not just for breakfast. I was also reminded how important it is to maintain the discipline of reading God's Word on a daily basis and how much that enriches um, a person's life and, and my life. I've also been reminded that the church was never about the buildings that the church will prevail under any circumstance and that the church is at its best when Jesus isn't just proclaimed, but when his love is lived out 
by those who call him Lord and Savior. And probably the most important lesson that I feel like I've learned or been reminded of during quarantine is that Jesus is here with us. And he wants to work through us. We just need to open our eyes and see him. This morning, I want to take a few minutes to hopefully encourage you and hopefully challenge all of us by reminding us that even in the midst of all this, this busyness and problems and anxiety and tensions and worry, and even during the pandemic, that the solution to our problems is provided by the God, the miracle-working God who is there right in front of us. We'll just open our eyes and see him. And open our hands out and say, God, use me. To do this, I want to take a look at one of the most important miracles in the Bible. Um, it's one of the most important ones that Jesus ever did. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, um, Jesus did a lot of miracles. We all know this, right? He, he healed the sick. He turned water into wine. He healed the, the deaf. He raised the dead. A lot of different miracles that Jesus did. But the feeding of the 5,000 stands out uh, for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is because um, this miracle teaches us to look to Jesus in order to find solutions to the problems we may have in life. And Lord knows we could use help with that right now. The second reason why this miracle is so important is because it's one of only two miracles that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. The other one being the resurrection of Jesus. So that should tell us that this miracle is important. It matters. So let me begin by asking you a question this morning, all right? Have you ever had a problem or an issue and the answer or the solution to that problem was right there in front of you, but you just couldn't see it? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, like, think about it. Maybe, maybe you're, you can't find your cell phone and you're running around looking all over the place for like 15 minutes and you realize it's in my back pocket. Has that ever happened to you? Or, or maybe you can't find, you know, your best pair of jeans, your favorite jeans, and you, you go in your closet and you're looking and you're tearing it out and you start accusing people of taking them. And, and finally, your mom or your spouse walks in and, and says, what are you doing? And you tell them and, and they look over and they say, well, they're, they're right there. If, they're right in front of you. Has that ever happened to you? I know it's happened to me. Folks, sometimes the solution to a problem is right in front of us, but we just don't see it. When... Um, my wife Sherry and our kids were, were little. Um, there was a, a, a series of books that came on the market um, called Where's Waldo? Any of you remember the Where's Waldo books? I, I can see your hands. Yes, you remember those. Our kids loved the Where's Waldo books. I loved the Where's Waldo books. And, and what they were all about is on each page, they would put a picture of Waldo. And Waldo was a pretty interesting looking dude. In fact, I got a picture we're gonna show you here. Waldo, he's got this big red and white shirt on and this funky hat and these big, you know, hairy carry glasses. And he's the guy that if he's walking down the street, you can't miss him. You're gonna see him. He, he stands out in, in a crowd. And what made the books fun is they would take Waldo, as you know, and they would put him on a page and then they would surround him with hundreds of other images that would make Waldo difficult to find. That's what made the books fun. Now, uh, on, a, on a side note, I do have to tell you that um, the Where's Waldo books have changed a little bit during this, during this pandemic. In fact, I've got the newest Where's Waldo book and I got, a, I got a picture of one of the pages here and if you check this out, it's like, where's Waldo? Oh, there he is. Um, he's social distancing. It kind of changes the, 
the whole point of the book. But let's go back to the other picture. Um, the fun of the book is that the solution to the problem, finding Waldo, is right in front of you. But what our eyes are usually drawn to is all of the other noise, all the other chaos, all the other potential images that are there. And they draw us away from the real solution. Folks, the miracle of the feeding the 5,000 is a lot like a page from a Where's Waldo book. The disciples have a problem. The solution to the problem is right in front of them. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus, but they don't see it. They have a hard time seeing it. If you have your Bible with you this morning or in your phone at your home, I want you to get it, and I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. Now, I'm going to look at different bits and pieces of this miracle from the other Gospels, but I'm going to key in on Matthew's account. And I want to begin with that. And as you're turning there, let me, let me kind of bring you up to speed on what's going on here, what leads us to this miracle. Jesus is at a point in his ministry where he is at the high point. People cannot get enough of him. There are crowds just following him, and he's teaching, and he's healing people. And everywhere he goes, they are following him. Now, right before this miracle happens, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been killed by Herod. Now, keep in mind that, that John the Baptist is, is not just some guy who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist is actually his cousin. And so Jesus uh, finds out about this, and, and, and this is John the Baptist. They, Jesus and him grew up together. They played together as kids. And so when he finds out about this, he, he, wants, to, he wants to pull away for a little bit. He wants to take some time to reflect and, and probably mourn uh, just a little bit. And so what Jesus does is he gets in a boat, and he's going he's gonna to head off uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so as he takes off, people realize, well, where'd Jesus go? Oh, he went in the boat and he went that way. So what the people do is they, they get in boats and they run around. And they say, well, we, we got to chase him down. And so this, this crowd finds out where Jesus is heading and, and they go there. They want to be around him. And so we pick up the story in verse 14. And here's what it says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Well, so much for the alone time, right? Jesus sees this crowd, and, and, and his compassion just, just comes out. It, it's who he is. And what Jesus does here is he teaches us that the solution to any problem always begins with action. It begins with doing something about it. Folks, as you know, problems just don't go away, do they? They don't go away on their own. They require some action on our part. And notice that when Jesus sees this crowd, he feels compassion for them. He saw the need, and then he acted on the need. What was the need? They were sick. He's healing their sick. These people had chased Jesus because they saw Jesus as the solution to their problems. Now, Jesus could have just said, you know, hey, folks, look, I, I see you here. I, I really feel for all of you. I really do. You know, I, I've got a lot of, I mean, I love you right here. I have a lot of compassion for you, but you know, I just really need some alone time right now. I mean, I've been busy. I'm tired. My cousin just died. I just, I just need a little time for me, okay? Jesus could have done that. But what he shows us, what he teaches us, is that compassion isn't much good if it's not combined with action. All of us, you and me, we all, we all feel compassion. We all have a capability 
for that. Some of us more than others, but it's there. God's put it inside of us. And here's what it boils down to. We can have compassion all day long for people. But without action, it's just a feeling. And as followers of Christ, we have to lead the way on this. We have to lead the way in combining our compassion with with action. The world needs to see the church leading the way. And for some of us, that may mean getting outside of our comfort zone and getting involved in being the church. And so Jesus feels compassion for this large crowd of people, and he takes action, right? And so he's healing some of them, and, and he's doing some teaching, and now it begins to get late in the day. And we pick it up in verse 15. Check this out. It says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Okay. So the disciples, they're they're watching what's going on here, right? They see all of these thousands of people, and they watch Jesus, and he's healing, and he's teaching, And instead of rejoicing, instead of saying, wow, Jesus, this is amazing. I'm so excited to be a part of this. They begin to view the situation on a completely physical level. All they can see in front of them is there's this big problem that's fast approaching. It's dinner time. And so they're like, we got to do something about this. And so they kind of interrupt Jesus. And I often think about this, and I'm, I'm thinking about the person that is next in line to get healed. I mean, imagine Jesus heals somebody and there's somebody else and they're ready to come up and the disciple kind of steps in and says, "Uh, excuse me, you're just going to have to wait. Um, Jesus, um, uh, you're doing some great stuff here, but look, it's it's getting a little late. Um, You know, these people got to be hungry. Uh, We're hungry. You're probably hungry. Um, Why don't you you send them away and, and let's go get some food? You see, all they see is the problem. And they come and they, they actually propose a solution. They say, Jesus, send the crowds away. And so Jesus answers them in the next verse. And I love his answer. He says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You see, they, they see the problem. They propose a solution that doesn't even include Jesus. Just send the people away. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. Do you see what Jesus did there? He puts it right back on them. They said, we, we, have a, we have a problem. And Jesus says, well, why don't you do something about it? Jesus didn't deny the problem. Yeah, the people were hungry. I'm sure Jesus was hungry. Something needs to be done about that. I love in John's account, um, he gives us a little more detail um, and says that, you know, that Jesus asked Philip, well, Philip, where, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip, in John chapter 6 and verse 7, he answers Jesus. He takes this question very, very literally. And he says, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough food for each person to have a bite. In essence, what they're saying is, Jesus, you're suggesting the impossible. If we empty our bank accounts, we can't feed these people. Folks, here's what we need to remind ourselves. Jesus loves the impossible situation. He loves a challenge. He loves it when our human options have run out and we've got nothing left because that's when we have no choice but to look to him. 
And so Jesus steps up and he kind of tests the disciples a little bit here. He begins to challenge their thinking on this situation before he performs the miracle. Jesus knew they didn't have enough money. That wasn't the point. He knew they couldn't go buy enough food for everybody. He wanted them to begin to take their eyes off of the problem and begin to focus on the solution, which was him. Some of you right now may be facing what may seem like a pretty insurmountable issue or problem or situation in your life. I mean, this, this COVID thing, it's, it's rough. It's affected all of us. And maybe you're, you're hearing this today and maybe, maybe you know someone who's, who's sick. Maybe you're sick with this. Um, maybe, maybe you lost your job during this time and you're not sure what, what you're going to do. Maybe, maybe this whole thing has, has left you feeling like my, my life is just out of control. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's next for me. Maybe you're scared. I, I don't know. But hear me on this, friends. Jesus is right there in front of us. He hasn't left you. And his words remind us that even during difficult challenges and difficult situations, we simply need to give it to him and let God take it. Give it to God, maybe, and pray, God, help me. You know, some of the best prayers are the shortest prayers. <laughs> they really are. And when we, when we do that, when we give it to God and we just say, Jesus, take this, help me, I'm going to tell you, the peace of God will come upon you. The problem may not be solved immediately, but God's peace is amazing when we, when we realize that we need to just rely on him. And so in Mark's account of this story, Jesus asks a question. And it's really probably the most important question of this whole story. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus says this. He says, how many loaves do you have? You guys want to buy food? We got some food? How much, how much do you got? What, show me what you have. I mean, the disciples have already made it clear. There's, there's no way we can buy enough food. So Jesus says, what do you got? Well, we're, we're told in, in, in John's account that Andrew speaks up here. And, and Andrew says, we got five small barley loaves and we got two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Now, let me point out something here. If only Andrew would have stopped talking one sentence sooner. I mean, if he would have done that, if he would have said, look, Lord, um, we got five loaves and two fish. You can do it. Jesus, you're a miracle worker. You're the solution to this problem. If he would have just shut up one sentence sooner, he would have been the hero of faith in this story. But instead, he says, but how far will this go among so many? Now, I guess before we pick on Andrew, we have to be honest with ourselves, right? I mean, how many times have we talked ourselves out of a miracle that God wants to do in our lives? How many times have we said, well, the need's too great. The resources are too small. I, I don't know. I don't think God wants to do anything with this. How many times have we done that? I know I have. When we go back to the book of Matthew and we look at his account again and we pick it up in verse 17. It says, we have here only five loaves and two fish, they answered. Jesus, verse 18, bring them to me. That's what we got? Bring, bring it here. Verse 19, 
As he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Now don't miss verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied. Let me pause there for a minute because I want you to, I want you to fully understand what's, what, that, what that really means there. I don't know what your favorite restaurant is. But, you know, if, if you go out to your favorite restaurant, fill in the blank. It's Olive Garden, okay? I love going to Olive Garden. And if I go to Olive Garden, I know that I'm going to get ravioli because I love the ravioli. And I know that if I go to Olive Garden and I order the ravioli, that I'm going to leave and my belly is going to be full. It's going to be bigger than it was when I walked in the place. And I'm going to be satisfied when I eat that ravioli. I don't want any tiramisu. I don't want any dessert because there's not going to be any room. I'm going to love eating this ravioli. And I'm going to walk out satisfied. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here is that they people were ate and they they were satisfied. Their bellies were full. They were they were they were like can't have any more. So Jesus says to his disciples, "Give me what you got." You want to solve this problem? Give it to me. Whatever you have, it'll be good enough. And so he takes the five loaves, he takes the two fish, and he does two important things, folks. Two important things that, that, are, that, are, that matter. The first thing he does is he gives glory to God. He prays and he blesses the resources and he makes sure that God's going to get credit for what's about to happen. The second thing Jesus does that's very, very important is he involves the disciples in the miracle. You know, Jesus could have just had everybody bow down could have everybody just, you know, bow your heads in prayer. Jesus could have just said, good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat, amen, bam. And everyone's got a hot meal in front of them. He could have done it that way. But instead, Jesus grabs some bread and grabs some fish and he, and he hands it to Philip. And he says, Philip, why don't you take this, you take this over there. Feed those people. And then he takes some bread and some fish and he gives them to Andrew. He says, Andrew, you, you take this and you, you go over there. And, and, and then he, he gets some more and he gives it to Peter. And he says, you, you go in that section over there. And, and then he says, Bartholomew, where's Bartholomew? Come here, you, you take this and you go there. And he does this until all of his disciples are involved in the miracle, busy taking what they have and giving it away. They were involved in solving this problem. They were involved in putting their compassion into action. Jesus is teaching us a timeless truth here, friends, in that whatever we have that he has given us, use that to help someone else. Whatever you have that God, God put into your possession, use that to meet a need. You know, whatever it is that Jesus has blessed you with, use that to go and bless somebody else. The point is that Jesus desires our resources to be combined with our action, our efforts. He wants to use us. He wants us to be involved in the solution. Not just a bystander with a resource. You know what's interesting is that when, when God chose to redeem us, when he chose to buy us back, to, to, to bring salvation to us, he didn't send gold coins. He, he didn't redeem us by sending a, a check or, or a big wad of cash. He redeemed us by sending himself, the Son. He paid the price for our sins with himself. 
And don't miss this, folks. If we're going to accomplish the global purposes of God, which is to go into the world and make disciples, if we're going to carry out that commission, it's going to require the giving of ourselves. And trust me on this one. When we get involved in giving of ourselves, the blessings are amazing. You will never be happier in life or richer in life than you are when you're giving to others. The solution to the problem begins by taking action and using what we have. Our time, our resources, our abilities. So the disciples start passing food around and and, and we're told that they continued until everyone was satisfied. And we're told that in, in John's account, that after everyone had eaten, Jesus says to his disciples in John 6, verse 12, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Now, there, there are a lot of potential lessons that we can glean from that command of Jesus. We don't have time to go there today. The point is that there was more left over than they started with. God blesses what we hand to him. So what does this all mean? Well, to go back to the example that I mentioned earlier about where's Waldo, we can either learn to, to, to look at the page and focus on the hundreds of images and the chaos of life and say, this is impossible. I can't do this. Or we can take action. We can give God what we have and focus on finding the solution, Jesus, who's right in front of us. I have a couple of takeaways that I want to leave you with today that I, that I think can help each of us. And they're really just two questions that we can ask ourselves when we find uh, ourselves in the midst of, of seemingly impossible situations or problems. And here's the first one. Ask yourself this question, what, what have I already decided is too big for God to accomplish in my life? What have I already decided? God, that's, that's too big for you to accomplish in my life. Folks, let me tell you something. God is bigger than we think he is. He's much bigger than the box we create for him. Whatever it is, maybe it's time to give it to him and watch him work through you. Second question you can ask yourself is this. Where have I decided that I have too little to make a difference. We see the need. We say, yeah, well, I don't think I have enough to do anything. I don't, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I, I, don't, I don't have enough energy to get involved in that. I, I, don't, I don't know enough about that situation to do anything about it. I don't, whatever. Where have we already decided? I don't have enough to make a difference which usually means we do nothing. Here's the truth of the matter, friends. You, yourself, will never have enough for the great things that God wants to do in your life. We, ourselves, will never have enough for the great things that God wants to do in our lives. You'll never have enough. But that's the point. That's the point. That's why we need God's help. That's why we need to find the solution that's right in front of us. Take action. It's him plus us. He gives us the privilege of using us. Give him what you have and watch him work through you. I don't know what lessons God has taught you um, or reminded you of during this time of quarantine. But the lesson that he's 
most reminded me of is that however my situation, don't forget to look for the solution that's right in front of me, Jesus. Let's make sure we focus our eyes on him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come into your presence knowing that you're here with us. And Lord, you have given us your word as an example of how you want us to live for you. And Father, I just pray that even in the midst of this really difficult time for so many people, Lord, that you haven't left. You're the same. You're there. You love us. You care about us. And Father, I just pray that each of us will cast our cares upon you and that we'll look to you for everything that we need, Lord God. Bless this time and bless these people in your name. Amen. Folks, again, have a great holiday weekend, and thank you for joining us today. Go in peace. Have a great week. God bless.